So Mark, it's Gospel, chapter 15, starting at verse 33. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, Listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion, who stood there in front of Jesus, saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. Then jumping forward to chapter 16 and verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, <coughs> sorry, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very nearly, very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And they entered the tomb. They saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone, because they were afraid. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping, When they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. Afterward, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. These returned and reported to the rest. But they did not believe them either. Later, Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him 
after he had risen. He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. Amen. Mark, thank you so much indeed uh, for reading for us this evening. Uh, Before I start, let me just uh, pray for our time together. Uh, Father God, help us this evening uh, to wrestle with the big questions of death and of life. Uh, Be at work in our hearts by your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Can I start with uh, some really big questions? What story are you telling yourself that allows you to make sense of your life? With death an ever-present reality, we've journeyed through COVID and the reality of death is really very close to us. Or as we watch the news of death and war in Europe, in the Ukraine, how do you make sense of your life in the light of the reality of death? They're pretty big questions, aren't they? And often in the busyness of life, we rarely get the chance to stop and ask ourselves those questions. Uh, Before coming into full-time ministry, I worked uh, in the city uh, for over 20 years and met with people who were uh, highly driven, very successful uh, in their place of work, been educated at the best schools and universities. Uh, But when I would ask them what life was all about, how they made sense of the world, and what they thought happens once they died... Uh, they'd oftentimes just shrug their shoulders and say, I've never really given it much thought. And it wasn't because they thought the question was silly or insignificant. They knew it to be the biggest question. They just never thought carefully about it. And so the same question to you, have you thought carefully about it? And how might you answer that big question of death and life? Uh, It's an age-old question, and I want us to ponder just two things uh, this evening to help us make sense of this. Uh, Firstly, death robs us of everything. That's a certainty. Secondly, moving from death to life. Moving from death to life can be a reality. So death robs us of everything. Now, there have been oceans of ink, haven't there, been, uh, that have been spilt answering the question of death and life. Uh, but one of the best observational pieces I've seen dates back almost 500 years. If we want a sustained uh, and proper look to answer the question of death and life, then I think we could do worse than going back to a painting by Holbin. Almost 500 years ago... Holbin was pondering the same question that we are this evening. How do we make sense of life? And he painted this, and it's called The Ambassadors. And what the painting reveals is in the midst of everything, death is a certainty that drains away any personal significance. Uh, The painting depicts what uh, people thought success looked like and what the meaning and purpose of life is. And then Holbin does something to cause us to stop And to think. So what did the world in Holbin's time think success looked like? Well, not dissimilar from today. Uh, Firstly, the two men in the picture. On the left is a chap called Jean de Dintville. 
And from the inscription on the sword that he's holding in his right hand, uh, we can see that he's 29 years old. He's an ambassador sent from France to King Henry's court. He's politically connected, therefore, and very successful. The clothes he's wearing are largely black, and black was an incredibly expensive dye. So the clothes he's wearing are extremely expensive. He's clearly a rich man. He's economically successful. Uh, The clothes that he's wearing, from the feathered black boots to the fur-lined coat, and the jaunty angle with which he set his hat on his head, tells you he's a man of style. He's culturally successful. And look at the way that he's standing. He's got swagger, hasn't he? He's a young man that seems to have everything. He is all round successful. And to the right, there's another man, a cleric. And from the book that he's got his elbow on, uh, it tells you that he's 25 years old. He's a bishop, George de Selve. He's already reached high office. Not only has he reached high office in the church, but he's also an ambassador to Venice. He's clothed in an elegant robe. This man just oozes sophistication and education. These two ambassadors, Holbin tells us, are the embodiment of success. What the culture said it meant to be significant 500 years ago. Uh, And actually, it's the same as today. The culture then and now says that life's meaning and personal significance comes from being wealthy, being famous, healthy, And admired. These two men would have had millions of people hanging on each of their Instagram posts. Their TikTok videos would have been a global sensation. These two men embody success as the culture then and now define it. But for all the apparent success of the men, Holbin wants us to see that actually it all counts for nothing. Uh, Like us, Holbin knew that there is something inherently unstable uh, about the success that the world says you find meaning. That there's something that spoils it, something that will take it all away. And right in the front of the painting, there's something that looks like a smudge, isn't there? Like Holbin's accidentally dropped a tub of paint across the front of the painting. But viewed from the right angle, we see something quite startling. Right in the middle of the picture, Holwyn has placed a skull that depicts death. No matter what the accomplishments of these two ambassadors, death takes them. Death takes their relationships, the families, the ones that they love. Death robs them of their wealth. Death drains away their health and snatches their very lives. For all their worldly success, if they're prepared to look... Death is right there in front of them. No matter what their accomplishments, death will take it all. And Holbin's saying that death does rob us of everything. He says that death is an indelible and obvious mark across the face of everything that we care about. It was true of those two men, and it's true of each one of us today. And that's the problem, right, that lies right at the very heart of what it means to be human. We know in the very core of our being that we are special, that we have value and we have worth. Yet, as Holbin paints, 
so dramatically, death is just around the corner. Indeed, it might be right at our feet. And depressingly, when we've died, within three generations, within three generations, there will be no one who will remember us, will vanish without a trace. Death takes everything, even the very memory of who we are. Oceans of dead time before us, and then oceans of dead time after our ever so brief life. Shakespeare put these words in Macbeth's mouth as he thinks about the brevity of life. Out, out, brief candle. Life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It's a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. Shakespeare says that in this grand scale of time, we're just a light that flashes and then it's gone. And if we're prepared to think it through, then we've got to ask ourselves, in the face of death, was all that thrashing around pointless? Does it signify nothing? And that's the terrible dilemma that we find ourselves in. We think we're special and we're gone in an instant. But there's hope as well. And there's hope in the painting. I wonder if you spotted it. Anybody see the hope in the painting? In that very top left-hand corner of the painting, there's a crucifix. There in the painting, almost hidden from view, Holbin has included in his painting the death of Jesus. And so Holbin actually reminds us that there is a particular death that we need to see. There is a death which opens up a way to new life, a richer life, and a fuller life. There is another way, a way that leads to life and fulfillment, something that death cannot take away. And that brings us to our second point. Moving from death to life. One of Jesus' closest disciples was a man called Peter. Peter lived with Jesus through Jesus' three years of his earthly ministry as Jesus went about Israel. And it's Peter's eyewitness account which we had read for us uh, this evening, which you find on your chairs beside you. It's an eyewitness account that we can trust. The death and resurrection of Jesus lies right at the heart of the Christian faith. And without seeing that, how we move from death to life, then life will make no sense. And indeed, the Christian faith will make no sense. So let's just take a very, very quick look. So in our reading from Mark's Gospel, verse, chapter 15, verses 33 to 41, we read this. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar and put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion, who had stood there in front of Jesus, saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. 
Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph and of and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. Let me just lift out a, a few points to show us that Jesus actually did die and was really raised again. The writer gives us times that things happened. Uh, take a look in verse 33. tells us, at noon darkness came. At three in the afternoon, he tells us. Uh, this is written as eyewitness testimony. It's not once upon a time in a land far away. The account is written in a definite place and at a specific time, which had been recorded and written down close to the time of Jesus' death. Secondly, it's a public event, verse 35. The death of Jesus wasn't something that occurred in a corner somewhere remote, out of sight. No, it was a public event. People who mocked and wanted Jesus dead were there, and they got what they wanted, the death of Jesus. Thirdly, we're given the names of some of the witnesses in verse 40. And the names aren't given there because they're important for the way that Jesus died, that the author is somehow trying to tie up loose ends as he closes his gospel. No, their names are given there because they're eyewitnesses. The names are given because the author is essentially saying, this happened, it really happened, and if you don't believe me, go and talk to these people. They were there. And crucially, death wasn't the end. Three days after the public execution of Jesus, the women who had seen Jesus crucified were now going to the tomb to put spices on his body. And there we read about their encounter with an angelic figure. Jesus, who was brutally killed, we're told by the eyewitnesses, is raised from the dead. And the angelic figure tells the ladies, he is risen. Death is not the end. And the resurrection tells us that. So why does this, the death and resurrection of Jesus, lie at the heart of the Christian faith? Why should it matter to you and to me? Let me sketch out the Christian faith. Uh, the Bible tells us that in all of God's goodness, he made all things. Mankind was created uh, with a special place in all creation. We were made to be in a living and loving, worshipping relationship with God. We were made to live face to face. But humanity rebelled. We decided that we wanted to be the ones who made the rules. We wanted not to live for God but to live for ourselves. And that rebellion, that desire to live for ourselves has broken that relationship with God. It's also broken our relationship with other people and with creation. We hurt people, we hurt ourselves, and we are destroying the world. All because we want our wants. And because of that rebellion, our turning away from God, death came into the world. And that's the penalty for our rebellion against God. As we turned away from God, the one who gives life, death comes into the world, into our lives. Because of our turning away from God, because of our rebellion, the stench and presence of death lies across the face of the world. My rebellion, 
your rebellion against God has caused our relationship with God to be broken. And we cannot make our relationship with God right by anything that we can do. The magnitude of the breakdown is so vast, it's too big for us to fix ourselves. And that's a terrible problem, isn't it? Because when we journey through death, we will stand before God and face the penalty for our rebellion. To be cast forever away from him. All eternity away from all the good things of God. A place that the Bible calls hell. What are we to do? How are we to be made right with God? And that's why the death and the resurrection of Jesus lies at the very heart of the Christian faith. God calls us to love him with all our heart, our mind, body, soul and strength. And to love our neighbor as ourselves. But we can't do that. So the penalty we deserve is death, now and through all eternity. But, and this is the good news, God set his love on you and on me. And so he sent his only son to live the life that we should have lived. And Jesus lived it perfectly. He loved God with all his heart, mind, soul and strength. And he loved his neighbor as himself. But at the end of his life, Jesus died the death that we deserve in our place. He died the penalty that we deserve. And on the cross, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because Jesus was forsaken on the cross. We can be brought back into a living relationship with God. It's an amazing exchange. Jesus gets what we deserve and we get what is rightly Christ's, a right relationship with God. To once again enjoy fellowship with God and then to live with him face to face through all eternity. How is that possible is the question. How do we access that? All we're called to do is to turn back to God and trust and believe that Jesus has indeed paid the price of our rebellion. To say sorry and to trust in Jesus. That's it. How can we be sure that the price has been paid? Because of the resurrection. And the resurrection is the best attested fact in all of ancient history. We can be sure because of the resurrection. Because God raised Jesus from the dead. He will also raise each one of us. For those who trust in Jesus to live with God forever and to journey safely through death. For those who don't trust in Jesus, then the price of their rebellion will be paid by them throughout all eternity. The cross and the resurrection, the cross tells us that there is only one way to hell. And that is to march over the broken and bleeding body of Christ nailed to the cross to trample it underfoot. Everything that you need to live knowing God's pleasure now and through all eternity has been done for you. Stop at the cross. Accept this amazing thing that God has done for you, sending his only son to live the life that you should have lived and then to die the death that you and I deserve in our place, his death, so that we can have life.
And Peter's eyewitness testimony of the life and death of Jesus was written down uh, by one of Peter's friends, a man named Mark. And if you've never looked at Christian things before, uh, why not take away a copy of Mark's gospel that you'll find on the seats beside you? Look at it. Look at the life, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Explore it uh, for yourselves. Come to our Easter services to learn more of this certain truth. And if you have questions, let me buy you a drink, a coffee, a glass of wine or a beer. But do, if you do have questions, wrestle with them. Now, the Christian faith is not based on blind leaps of faith. The Christian faith is based upon facts. Allow Colin or me to help you wrestle with those facts and questions. Holbin in his painting exposes death. But if we're prepared to trust in what God has done for us in and through Christ Jesus, then we can know the fullness of life that death cannot rob us of. And life eternal face to face with God. What will you choose? It really is a matter of death and life. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this time to reflect on the great truth of the resurrection of Jesus. Help us to see the shallowness of life without you. Be at work in our hearts to trust you for what you have done for us in and through Christ on the cross. Draw us to yourself and reveal your great goodness toward us. May we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.